Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Kevin Nafty. And Kevin is co-founder of Evie, which is a medical cannabis company based in Uruguay. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, what it's like to deal with cannabis on an international basis. Uh, and obviously, Uruguay has a lot of interesting facets to it, being one of the first, if not the first, uh, country to legalize um, cannabis. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about that. We're going to talk to him about his history as someone involved in cannabis and as an entrepreneur. So with that, Kevin, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah. So let's start with just kind of the backstory. Like what was, what was your professional background? How did you get, uh, how did you get to uh, being a cannabis entrepreneur or production company in Uruguay? What's the, what's the background? Yeah, sure. Um, I might just take it a couple of steps backwards just to give some context to the listeners because I'm sure they're wondering what, what this accent's all about. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was born in South Africa and lived there until I was about 16. And my family decided, my parents decided back then that uh, we, needed to kind of leave. Times were a bit uncertain over there. And we all moved together to Australia, where I uh, finished my schooling, studied my first degree there, um, and then got really interested in, in Israel. I'd kind of learned about it my whole life. I'd visited a few times, actually decided to get over there and volunteer in the army for a bit. Also went to study my master's degree over there, which I studied in counterterrorism and, and conflict resolution, and started sort of a profession in, in Israel, in, in government, working for both the Australian and British governments. And also had my first taste of entrepreneurship, where I, I started my own uh, my own platform, I guess, if you like, my own initiative, helping new immigrants and new residents to Tel Aviv, uh, like myself that I was. And after being there for about 10 years, I actually met my wife there. We got married in Israel. She's originally from Uruguay, Andrea, and she's 
also my co-founder now at, uh, at Evie. And she was working in the tech space in Israel for a while and got an opportunity to go set up operations for her startup in California, in San Francisco. And, you know, she is super ambitious. She was always saying that, you know, that's, that's where we need to be. That's the next step, California. And so we went over there and that's where I kind of got my taste, my first taste of, of um, cannabis, quality cannabis. Um, you know, I'd kind of consumed cannabis since I was probably 18 or 19 and, you know, tried the different varieties in different countries that I've lived and traveled. But really, it was California that kind of blew my mind. A bit. Um, <laughs> Literally. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with just the, the, the quality of, of the cannabis there. I also, when we moved over, I was kind of in a bit of a, a tough spot health-wise. So I have psoriasis and arthritis uh-huh. and wasn't being able to access my pharmaceutical medication when we first arrived to San Francisco because of insurance sort of oh, challenges. Yeah. So, you know, having that amazing cannabis around in, in California was super helpful for me, just kind of, you know, easing the stress and, and kind of easing some of my symptoms. And while I was also out in California, I met a cousin of my of my wife, who's also Uruguayan, and he had just joined a small little startup by the name of Flo Canna oh, yeah. as one of the co-founders. Yeah. And, you know, at that time, I think there were about four or five people, just literally the founding team, and started to learn a lot more about what they were doing, uh, working with the small farm up in, in Northern California in the Emerald Triangle. And, you know, I was kind of like, wow, this is this is amazing. This this is what I want to do. And, you know, I kept in touch with them for a while. And I think it was only maybe a year later that I'd, I'd kind of worked in a, a couple of other things in San Francisco in um, online health, telehealth, a couple of other things and got an opportunity uh, at a later stage to join Flo Canna as head of operations. I think we were, we were about seven people at the time. And that really started off my cannabis journey working in cannabis. So I think when we joined or when I joined Flo Canna at the time, they were, they were mostly focused as a retail delivery service, so buying you know flowers from the farms up in in the Emerald Triangle and selling it directly to patients in the Bay Area, and then they added on a B two B component, so buying you know bulk and then selling it to to dispensaries and kind of starting with their their own branded products and then building their sort of centralized facility up in Northern California. And I, I think I just you know that was. That was a couple of years ago, and and they were scaling hard. We, we, we sort of built a really good reputation for ourselves. I mean, it was a, a great company; it still is. Great group of guys, really good values, you know, and really sticking to their values in in helping the small farmer ecosystem in Northern California that is really uh, behind most of this industry. So um, I know I think you probably would have been in the uh, yeah. It's great. We actually had um, Amanda was on the program. Uh, it was it was several right. episodes ago. So, but so if people want to know want, want to get more insight on Flocana, there's a there's an episode you can go back and check out. But yeah, fascinating. Yeah. I think both, you know, from a business point of view, as well as, you know, from a kind of industry and understanding really how the how the Northern California, you know, cannabis community and, and, and cannabis history, you know, is fascinating. She, she gave a lot of really good insight on that. So yeah, so you, so you, you really were well steeped. <laughs> I mean, you were involved in a company that was, you know, early in this sort of green rush in California here. What were your takeaways? I mean, I guess, you know, that, that I'm sure that was a very influential experience, you know, for you as a, both as an entrepreneur and as a, someone involved in the cannabis industries, what were your takeaways? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was completely mind opening for me, and you know, kind of realized that really that's that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And um, you know, after I finished up at Flow Canner, I, I my wife and I got an amazing opportunity to go live and work on one of the uh, the farms up in Humboldt County, and really kind of learn the cultivation side of things while helping a group of farms sort of with the legalization and compliance process. It was sort of just before it became recreation legal in California. So they were dealing with a whole lot of complexities and challenges to kind of, you know, get legal quickly. So we learned a ton from that side and, and, you know, realized that, um, you know, learned the stories and the culture surrounding the Emerald Triangle and the small farms and, you know, kind of how they've been living off the grid over the last, um, you know, 20, 30 years and living living and farming sustainably and and really taking care of of the earth. And, you know, that really inspired us to, to start our own thing. You know, we kind of, I, I realized now that I'd obviously learned 
learned a ton about the industry. And my wife and I had always always wanted to start something together. It was a bit trickier in the United States just because of visa issues. Yeah. Um, obviously not being citizens there and trying to get something up and going. So um, yeah, we, we decided at some point to come to Uruguay to check it out, see what was happening there. My wife uh, is obviously from Uruguay. She left when she was 18. And, you know, I'd always wanted to come over and get to know her family, learn Spanish, you know, and, and just kind of uh, experience life in, in Latin America. That's great. And, and uh, educate the audience and, and myself here a little bit on uh, when did Uruguay go uh, legal? What was the what was the history there? Yeah, sure. So I think it was 2012 or 2013, if I'm not mistaken. So they had quite a progressive government at the time. The the president here was um, Pepe Jose Pepe Mujica, and he's quite famous in Uruguay as um, you know he was actually an ex sort of guerrilla leader, or, or you know some people refer to as a, a terrorist. At, yeah. at one stage, he was in prison and then came out, and you know kind of led the led the country. And he um, basically implemented a, a bunch of of really progressive laws including legalizing recreational cannabis, legalizing abortion, legalizing gay marriage, sort of all at the same time. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, Uruguay's decision to legalize cannabis was was more of sort of a, from a security and public health perspective. You know, they wanted to try and figure out how they could stop the sort of narco trafficking, the legal black market here, yeah. and also how to help the, the sort of younger generation get off the kind of harder drugs that were going around on the streets. And so they figured by increasing access and providing, you know, sort of decent quality, and really affordable medical cannabis that kind of figure out a way to to really reduce the black market and and you know kind of improve the public health yeah and what and i mean just do what's the what's the result <laughs> did it work what is what has been the general kind of consensus on things i think i guess yeah so it's, it's five years later now mm-hmm. and i think they're still obviously gathering a lot of data but you know their recreational industry that they implemented was quite unique you know very different to california for example where there are only there are three channels basically for for selling simian cannabis the first one is um you know uruguayans or residents are allowed to buy just, just dried flowers from the pharmacies. Um, you can grow up, you can buy little bags of five grams for $6 and you can get up to 40 grams a month. The other way is through clubs. So there are a bunch of clubs around the country that can have up to 100 plants and also a bunch of members that pay sort of its monthly fee and each member is entitled to 40 grams a month. And then there's the uh, the home growers. Home growers are allowed to grow up to six plants, six flowering plants at a time. So those are really the only three ways that, that people can buy legal cannabis here in, in Europe. Uruguay. And I saw an article actually um, today or yesterday saying how it, it really, Uruguay succeeded in kind of diverting $22 million away from the black market as a result of their recreational legalization. So I think they've done pretty well. I guess the one part that sort of needs a lot more development really is uh, the, on the medical side. You know, it's and it's quite interesting in that most countries and, and states start yeah. on the medical side and go into the recreational, whereas Uruguay has kind of done it the opposite. They started with the recreational and now sort of developing the medical side. And and I think on the recreational side, um, just to kind of step aside, I think they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're missing out a bit on the tourism. You know, tourists, um, they've had a whole lot of tourists come to Uruguay because, you know, they, they found out that yeah. um, cannabis was legal. But in reality, it's illegal to sell cannabis here to non-Uruguayan residents or tourists. Fascinating. So, so you have to be a Uruguayan resident to be able to legally purchase right. cannabis. And it's mostly flour. I mean, they're not doing any yeah. extracts and things like that. Right. At the moment, it's just flour. Huh. Yeah. Good. So that, I think that gives a, a more uh, specific ground into the situation. So now let's talk about you and, and how you chose to participate in the industry. So you were looking at the production side, the ground right. side. How did things kind of get set up and, and where are you now? Yeah, sure. So um, my wife and I probably arrived just over a year ago to Uruguay and, and literally spent the first, I'd say, six to eight months uh, really just scoping out the, the ecosystem, meeting with a whole lot of different stakeholders, ranging from government officials to entrepreneurs to you know doctors, academics, 
anyone that was kind of interested in the, in the industry to understand what is actually going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and also looking at other business ideas, we were looking at potentially importing a testing device from Israel. But in the end, we decided that, you know, we, we wanted to start our own brand and, and create a production company, you know, having the idea of having branded consumer products based on, on natural whole plant flower and, and science-backed remedies. So I think it was about May last year, we decided, okay, this is this is the time, the right time. Uh, you know, I think the industry, the medical side here is, is starting to gain momentum. So we registered a company back then. You know, I had to learn a whole lot of, of new things um, about business, doing business in Uruguay. Obviously, for me, the language was a huge um, obstacle at the beginning. I, you know, I would go to all these meetings and not understand a word and, you know, just hope that my, my wife kind of understood everything and she would give me a, you know, a good nice little summary after each meeting um but you know we really complement each other well uh, with that and yeah we're, we're basically now at the phase where we have a license to produce non-psychoactive cannabis okay which basically means hemp or, or anything that's less than one percent thc okay and so we just started our pilot cultivation a couple of months ago that's growing really well pretty small only around 300 square meters and we're going to harvest that in a few weeks and we're currently looking for potential buyers international buyers we're actually speaking to someone in mexico at the moment, mm-hmm. but really just to do a kind of a, a symbolic or, or, or trial exportation. You know, it's, it's such a, uh, a complicated process and with all the different regulations and on this side and in the importing countries that really just, just trying to figure out how to do it is is the way to go. A lot of companies are sort of going down that route just to show that they, they've done a trial exportation, they know how to do it, they've sent a sample and then, you know, the next one will be a lot bigger. And what we're really focusing on here, and it was really inspired by the, the model that I worked in, in in California and with the the small farm ecosystem was um, also, you know, building a, a brand of medical cannabis products mm-hmm. using a, uh, a sustainable agricultural model that comprises of small, standardized, and sustainable farms. So we're we're currently building mm-hmm. the the model farm or the pilot farm, and we're you know testing a lot of assumptions, building our processes and systems. We've got a great team. We have a, a chief agronomist who's who's currently doing his masters in agronomy here in Uruguay. He's been growing cannabis for the last few years. He actually wanted to do his thesis in cannabis but unfortunately couldn't get scholarship uh, funding if he was going to do cannabis. So he had to do <laughs> tomatoes. Uh, but he grows amazing, amazing tomatoes. I'm sure. <laughs> and we have another, yeah. So, uh, you know, still, it's, it's still, you know, the stigma and we're still fighting that battle here. There is, it's, it's quite a conservative country and, you know, not everyone's sort of fully on board just yet. And uh, yeah, we've got a head of operations, another scientist, a soil scientist, who's a, a PhD in soil to help us focus on our enriching our soils. You know, we're, we're going to try and grow everything naturally, you know, organically, just using only natural inputs from, you know, here in Uruguay, no pesticides, diversified farming. You know, Uruguay is traditionally a, um, an agricultural rich country. There are tons of, of small farmers, you know, just trying to kind of survive, but not a lot of cannabis growing experience. So our idea really is to, you know, build this network of small small farms. We're doing the pilot farm now. Next year, we're going to replicate that with uh, probably a couple more farms. And we'll we'll help these farms by, you know, consulting, uh, helping them getting the licenses. We'll help them. Uh, we'll provide the genetics. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll provide the cannabis consulting, you know, with, with obviously some advisors and, and team members from California that have been growing for a long time. And then we will buy back their, their raw material, send that off to a, a centralized um, processing facility where we will store it there, you know, obviously get it tested. Not sure if we're going to be doing the manufacturing ourselves or we'll be mm-hmm. working with a, a third party. Those licenses are pretty tough to get and, and take a while. So it might just make sense to, to partner with someone who already has their license in the, the short term mm-hmm. and then kind of, um, yeah, elaborate or, or create the sort of 
of consumer consumer products, you know, a different variety of, of CBD and, and THC formulations for a variety of different conditions and, and personal wellness. At the moment, with the cultivation license that we have, we're permitted to export dried flour. So that's that's the first stage. So that's kind of the, the go-to okay. market. And at the moment, most companies, medical cannabis companies in Uruguay are only permitted to export the, the raw material. I'm still kind of waiting on the licenses for the manufacturing licenses and, and from the Ministry of Health. So okay. yeah, that's kind of where we are now. And, and we're also about to apply for a, an R&D license, which will basically help us kind of grow. We've got a, a myriad of different genetics that we've collected from different parts of the world. You know, we want to grow those here, analyze them and, and basically choose the, the genetics that will be the basis of our future products. Got it. Got it. And so there's well, a bunch of different questions. I mean, I guess one, give us a sense of the actual license procurement process. I mean, what what does it look like there? How does, you know, what are the applications look like? Who are you applying to? You know, what, what do you have to actually demonstrate to the authorities to be able to get a license? Yeah, sure. So there, um, there are a number of different licenses that you can obtain. Um, so as I mentioned, we decided to go first with the, the cultivation license of non-psychoactive cannabis, so yeah. hemp, which is essentially done here through the Ministry of Agriculture. Okay. We decided to go down that road just because it was a far easier application process. Yeah. The, probably the most complicated part is showing, uh, providing proof or, or origin of funds. So every license that, that is applied for, you know, and even for the big, big projects that are that are out here that have, you know, big foreign investment, mm-hmm. you've got to basically provide documentation from those from those investors showing exactly where that money comes from because of the, the narco trafficking problems that exist in, in, throughout Latin yeah. America. So they just want to make sure that it's not, this isn't illicit drug money being filtered right, into right. the or, or, legal. Or okay. laundered money, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's one of the sort of tougher parts. Um, you actually can't actually start your licensing process until you have all those that documentation in hand. Wow. And then, yeah, so for the for the non-psychoactive license, you know, we just had to show them uh, that we had a location. The location can't be within a certain distance from any schools or, or sort of cultural centers. Okay. Um, we have to have already defined our genetics, which is a bit complicated because with this license, you can only use genetics that are obtained legally or imported legally and are currently registered on the um, sort of the National Institute of, of Seeds. Um, so that's a tough one. Wait, so explain that one a little bit more. So that this is basically that you, you have to show that, I mean, I guess, what, what are they looking out for here? That you're you're not in, importing some strain that is not appropriate or something? What are they? Right, right. And it's, this is where there's actually quite a, a contrast or, or, or sort of inconsistency here in Uruguay because there's, for the other cultivation license, which is to uh, cultivate THC cannabis, oh. you can actually use genetics that were donated by a recreational grower. You know, so really you can use whatever genetics you want. Quote, unquote. So, yeah, <laughs> nudge, exactly. nudge, wink, wink. So the, yeah. That's really one of the biggest inconsistencies here and it's a huge obstacle, a huge problem that we're, we're kind of facing uh-huh. with. I mean, we, you know, we have genetics from all over the world, but we're not able to use them for this license. One, because they all have THC that's, that's yeah. higher than 1%. Yeah. Two, because they weren't, they weren't obtained legally. We can't, we can't provide a certificate of origin, a phytosanitary certificate and a certificate of analysis from an approved lab. So that's, that's one of the challenges there. But the, the cultivation license, the THC cultivation license, that actually you go through a separate government organization, which is called IRCA. Um, that's the organization that's actually responsible for the whole sort of control of, of cannabis in Uruguay, both in the recreational and medical side. Um, and the Ministry of Health is also sort of involved in that in that process as well. That's a lot sort of a longer process, a lot more expensive, also because of the security requirements that that license has. Yeah. So w- what are your requirements? So in, in terms of 
security mean by physical security of the location and the grow zone? Yeah, yeah exactly, so what exactly. are your requirements? Do you have to... So we, we were actually really lucky. Our pilot cultivation is sort of in a really good spot. It's kind of got this thick bush surrounding the entire perimeter. You know, so it wasn't on any main roads. It couldn't be seen from anywhere. So there wasn't really that much we needed to do from a license perspective. Got it. Um, obviously, just we want to make sure we have some cameras set up there, uh, you know, just so you can see what's going on, you know, but it's pretty elapsed. But, you know, in different areas and with THC production, you're you're going to have to put up, you know, security. Yeah. You know, we were even thinking about putting up a sign that just says, you know, this is this is not really cannabis. It's hemp. It doesn't make you high. So don't bother stealing it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the other license is the R&D license, which you can also get basically, which we're, we're applying for now. And then there's the manufacturing license, which is also that's through the Ministry of Health. And that's kind of where there's been the biggest obstacle, the biggest kind of, yeah, just challenge. Uh, I think only one company to date in Uruguay has got their manufacturing license. And this has been quite a political issue. It seems that there are certain people within the Uruguayan government wow. that are quite high up that don't yeah. necessarily agree with medical cannabis. Huh. And so, yeah, yeah it's uh, which is interesting because they've, you know, I guess the, the hard part was that the, the government that introduced the law five years ago kind of obviously went and finished up their terms shortly afterwards and a new government came in that was a lot more conservative. They couldn't redo or undo everything that was done, but they, they couldn't, you know, they didn't necessarily advance things or, or put their foot down. Yeah, kind of froze it in place. Yeah, right. fascinating. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, you know, the U.S. is in this kind of weird political science experiment with all this state-to-state right. -state legalization and federal yeah. illegality and stuff. So, you know, yeah. so it's, I think it sounds like some of the same drama that we have here. Definitely, um, definitely. I think every every country is really going through their own, you know, challenges and difficulties as they kind of legalize and, and try and set up a, an infrastructure to, you know, kind of control the, the yeah. consumption sale of, of cannabis. Yeah. So, but you have your license, you're, or you're working on the, uh, you, you've got your non-psychoactive license, you're working on the uh, TC license. I mean, I guess, so the model for you ultimately is to be the creator of the, the organization that's going to help all these local farms, uh, smaller farms, basically collect, market, produce, process, brand the, the raw material they're producing. I mean, what's the end game look like for you? Like, what are you, what are you trying to build and what is, what is success look like once you've achieved your goals? Yeah, sure. I mean, ultimately, we're trying to create a, a brand, you know, uh, so sort of consumer branded products here in Uruguay that, that can be used and exported around the world. Um, you know, people that need it, like people like myself that has uh, arthritis. I mean, that's probably my biggest um, motivation that I have here is to really try and find a product or a strain, you know, that, that really helps me with my condition and, and will help millions of other people around the world. You know, I think at the moment within the, the international medical cannabis space, you're seeing a lot of companies just trying to produce as much as possible for as cheap as possible, just because there's such a huge demand. But I think ultimately the future of the medical cannabis industry, just like the recreational, will be brands. You know, it'll be the, the brands that can that can dis distinguish themselves from the, the others and really produce high quality cannabis. You know, and for us, we're going to be focusing on a segment that's more of like the conscious consumer that, that really wants to know, you know, who grew their product, where it comes from, you know, and know that they're actually giving back to the environment as opposed to taking away from it. You know, like I said, our, our farms are all going to be sustainable farms, really focusing on, on building the soils, on sequestering carbon, you know, and creating a, a real positive environmental and, and social impact. You know, we, we're really excited about the potential for Uruguay and what this industry can do for the for Uruguay's economy and Uruguay as a whole. You know, currently their their main industry is agriculture. You know, I think meat is their biggest exports. They actually have a, a population of three and a half million people and twelve million cows. So it's a <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a tough place to, to visit or live if you're vegetarian. Yeah, um, well, it's like New Zealand. And but cheap. really, you know, this, this is uh, right, right, exactly. But yeah, you know, so Uruguay has a has a huge opportunity here. It's, it's a very you know, it's not a, a a long or a big window of opportunity. They've really got 
got to act now to, yeah. to become one of the global players. They're one of the few countries in the world that have a, an export that can export medical cannabis. So we're, you know, we're really, while we're obviously committed to building our own products and, and helping a lot of people, both in Uruguay and around the world, such as myself, that has these different medical conditions that cannabis can, can help. We're also very passionate about, you know, helping these, these small farms participate in this industry, you know, and, and young people get out of the city, live on their own farms and have an economic way to kind of make a living out there, a high value crop that they can grow, you know, and then contribute, like I said, contribute positively to the, the environment and, and society as a whole. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it's more, I mean, I, you know, I definitely get a sense it's more than just kind of the business success. I mean, you're looking at really kind of establishing a, a whole kind of industry and a whole way of, uh, you know, a way of doing business there in Uruguay. What, right. um, how, how many right. farms, I mean, if you set, uh, you know, a BHAG, a bigger, hairy, audacious goal on, on the number of farms and the number of people you want to involve in this, like what, what does that look like for you? You know, Uruguay is a pretty small country, you know, and I, I envision to have farms literally all over the country, you know, we can have hundreds of, of farms, you know, and once we've really perfected the model, you know, we'd love to take that model and replicate it in, in other places, potentially in Africa, um, you know, looking at South Africa and Lesotho, a couple of, of countries that are, you know, kind of on their way to legalizing, but really finding places around the world that have, you know, rich histories in producing cannabis, you know, it's in the, in the black market and where a lot of strains kind of originate from, you know, even India, Afghanistan, those kind of places that might be a while down the track, but, but yeah, really look at where we can replicate this model in, in different countries. You know, at the moment we're looking at a couple of places in Latin America, maybe Argentina, Peru, Colombia. You know, Colombia's got a very big, rich history of, of small growers, Mexico, for example. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of down the track. But, you know, for the moment, just focusing on, on what we're doing right now and getting this pilot done and then, you know, just kind of expanding it, testing the this our, our assumptions next year or far, um, and then hopefully scaling up. Yeah. What And, and big challenges so far or, or big, big challenges that you're grappling with now that you're anticipating in the coming months? Uh, yeah, so we're um, we've actually just just closed a an equity round investment from an Australian investor. They're actually going to be also act as a our distributor to Australia, New Zealand, and Asia. Uh-huh. You know, and that's that's pretty much almost done. Now we're dealing with the challenge of how do we get the money because uh, here in Uruguay we have the same banking issues as the United States oh, has. Yeah. So that's that's one of the challenges we're dealing with. You know, Uruguay there is I mean there's there's a very talented workforce, but there's not a lot of uh, cannabis talent if you like. So you yeah. know, bringing in there's going to be a big shortage of talents. A lot of the companies are going to be competing for the same the same talent here you know foresee that as being a bit of a challenge there's um you know there's one certified lab for for testing here in uruguay and they currently only test for thc and cbd which is you know it's yeah. not not being a lot more than that there's a whole lot more cannabinoids terpenoids yeah. flavonoids to to test for if we're going to get really serious um so and yeah then just you know kind of working with with the government here that definitely also has its challenges just to kind of you know together with companies with entrepreneurs with industry really help create an ecosystem uh, and develop the industry yeah. um, you know in order for Uruguay to succeed out there so those are a few few of the challenges yeah I can imagine um, yeah. and uh, and so tell me I, mean, I always love uh, to kind of find out how how the business uh, kind of operations side I mean you have a particular interesting situation is that your business partner is also your your wife <laughs> how right. do you guys right. kind of split up the business how how do you maintain or, or do you maintain a separation between uh, kind of uh, married life and uh, business partner life right right no I mean, it's it's all mixed to be honest. It's yeah. uh, you know we kind of we were obviously living together. We just had a, a little baby together. Trying to manage that together with building the business. Thank you is uh, you know definitely got its challenges. But um, yeah, I mean we love it. You know we were um, I think we were good friends before we we sort of were together. So that that I think that kind of helped us a lot in terms of where we are today. Uh, we've been together for a long time now. We know each other very well. Uh, we know each other's st- strengths and weaknesses on an operational level. My wife Andrea, you know she deals just with a lot of operational stuff because of the language barrier. 
that that I have. You know, it just it's just too difficult for me to to get my points across in Spanish. You know, and like working with with different employees. So I'll kind of act more as the kind of a strategic advisor in, in the back and working together with her. You know, making things happen. You know, kind of activating my contact base around the world. But uh, yeah, we you know we're still really defining those kind of the roles and the separation of roles that we have in the business. But we do complement each other very well. I think that's that's the most important thing. And you know, we have really good communication skills. You know, we we speak a bunch of different languages to each other also uh, Hebrew English Spanish so you know we're obviously always focusing on, on improving that and uh, but you know up till now it's worked really well and uh, yeah we're you know we're really excited about building this the next few years here in Uruguay yeah it's exciting it's exciting I coach a lot of partnerships and several of them are husband wife partnerships and it's uh, goes both ways you know it's it's both right. uh, incredible strength because you have such a deep connection it can also you can get muddled <laughs> so, right, know, right. I think it's that just being being really open and talking about it and uh, and making sure that you're you're aware uh, aware of you know what what relationship are you in in the conversation and uh, is that the right relationship to be focused on but yeah good for you totally. that's a that's a that's a it's a big challenge to start a business and uh, kudos to, to getting this launched we're gonna hit time here I mean, if people want to find out more about EV about you about the work you're doing in Uruguay what's the best way to get that information yeah sure probably uh, social media in the best bed first of all you know connect with me on LinkedIn active there uh, we've got to have a Facebook page basically EV YVY dash Medical Cannabis Uruguay. We're also on Instagram. I think it's EV or, or we are EV, if I'm not mistaken. We're actually about to hire a marketing person to help us kind of uh, get more content out there and help us uh, develop our brand, create more brand awareness. But um, yeah, we're, we're pretty active on those and we'd be happy to have a chat to anyone that's interested. And yeah. Cool. And I'll make sure that uh, those uh, those links and those handles are in the show notes here so people can click through and, and get that and contact you. Kevin, this has been a pleasure. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Bruce. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.